Does the Bible condone slavery? Critics of Christianity point to passages in both the Old and New Testaments that seem to lend credence to this idea. Stay tuned to hear Dr. David K. Bernard's response to these arguments. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Some critics argue that the Bible is an outdated and and even barbaric book because in their minds it condones slavery. So Old Testament patriarchs like Abraham, for example, of course, we know that he owned slaves. And if you look in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul seems to defend the the practice. For example, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, he wrote, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. And then a few verses later, he says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Paul uses similar language, of course, in other uh, passages. And then antebellum slave masters in the United States, they use passages like this, of course, to justify and condone their actions and even argue that slavery was a manifestation of God's will. Does the Bible condone slavery? And if it does, isn't that proof that it's an outdated, immoral book? The Bible does not condone slavery. And so let's talk about that. Uh, By the way, I have a new book coming out in the fall called Anchor Points, and it's a, a a series of essays on apologetics from an apostolic perspective, and it has a chapter on slavery, racism, and the gospel. But to to give a full answer to your question, we have to understand that the Bible is a historical book written in a historical context. But to get the true message of Scripture, you have to read from Genesis to Revelation, and you also have to see what are the guiding principles, the unifying principles. So just taking isolated passages, you don't really get the true message of Scripture. So first of all, in the Old Testament, there were various forms of slavery. Now, they weren't based on racism like modern in modern times. Uh, most of the time, it was one of two things. Someone had a debt they couldn't pay, and so they would voluntarily uh, uh, sell themselves or their children into slavery, sometimes to uh, to their the, the person that they owed the debt to. Uh, and, and then the other way that slavery took place is through conquests, where two nations would war, one would win and, and take people in as slaves. So in the Old Testament, before the Old Testament was written, of course, people had fallen into sin. Societies had gone very far away from God. And so the Bible was written to try to bring people out of those sins, but it was written within that context. So you find things like warfare, polygamy, slavery, all the things that were not God's plan in the Garden of Eden or from creation, but the human race had fallen into these sins and dysfunctional practices. So the Old Testament um, did not immediately give people heaven, nor did it give people the Holy Ghost, but it was a step-by-step plan to pull them out of these sinful lifestyles so they'd be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. And then in the new covenant, you'd receive the Holy Spirit. You'd have power to live a holy life. And then eventually the millennial kingdom would reestablish God's plan. So if you want to know what God's plan is for humans, don't look at the sins of the various times, but look at the Garden of Eden 
and look at the millennium. And in neither place do you find slavery. Uh, So how did God deal with slavery in the Old Testament? Well, first of all, for his people, uh, he transformed it from slavery to servanthood. And and by the way, when you read about uh, slaves in the Old Testament, there's kind of a continuum. You you would have what we think of as absolute slavery, uh, people as property, but then you would also look at household servants, where what we might consider, um, you, you know, basically almost a family member, but uh, they they were um, attached to the family as servants, but not in the modern sense we think of a slave. And so, or or you might say indentured servants, where they they serve for a limited time, okay, almost like a, a an employee relationship. So what God did is, certain, especially for Israel. He said, you, uh, first of all, you can't kidnap people. You can't force them into slavery. So it had to be voluntary, selling themselves for a debt. And then second, in the seventh year, you had to give them freedom. So basically, you've transformed that relationship from slavery to a seven-year uh, indentured servanthood. So it would be like, I don't have any money. I'm bankrupt. I'm going to sell myself into slavery for seven years to dig myself out of debt. So obviously that's a very different arrangement. So even in the Old Testament, God is trying to lead people from a sinful society to bring them to a more just society. And and shockingly, the Old Testament has protections for slaves. They have to be treated as people. If uh, someone injures them or kills them, there are penalties. Uh, so in other words, they're not property, they're people. Now in the New Testament, uh, we're still dealing with a world culture of brutality, violence, and slavery. In fact, at the time of the New Testament in the Roman Empire, it's estimated that 30% of the population were slaves. So let's suppose a preacher got up and said, you know, I denounce slavery, let's overthrow slavery. What would have happened? You know, he's going to be arrested and executed. So nobody's going to be delivered, and the gospel is not going to be preached, and the church won't be established. So the church did not take uh, the, the, the radical route of violent revolution. In fact, unless you count the Exodus, uh, there's been no successful slave revolt in history until uh, in the early 1800s when Haiti overthrew uh, the French colonialists. So if the church had taken the route of we're going to incite slaves to revolt, well, the slaves would have been crushed, the church would have been crushed, and no good would have come of it. Instead, in the passages that you quoted, uh, the gospel writers said, if you find yourself as a slave, don't rebel against your master, but obey your master in hopes that your master will come to, to truth. And if you are a master, don't treat your slave as a slave. Treat your slave as a brother in Christ. So in essence, the goal was be a good, don't, don't attack your society. Don't foment violent rebellion. Don't destroy the church. But transform slavery within the church so it's no longer slavery. It's an employer-employee relationship. Now, if you have an unsaved master, you can't do that unilaterally, but by living, you know, being faithful, being honest, working hard, not stealing, then first of all, you're honoring God, regardless of that slave. You're not doing it 
to that master. You're not doing it for that master. You're doing it for God. So that gives the slave inner liberty when society won't give them external liberty. But in many cases, what actually happened, slaves were con- uh, slave masters were converted by their slaves. And so it became a way of winning people, but also undermining slavery. And then if you're a slave owner, in, in essence, you still have the legal formality, so you're not trying to overthrow society, but you're no longer supposed to treat your slave as a slave. And there's a significant little book, Philemon. If you read it carefully, uh, Paul wrote to Philemon. Philemon was a Christian that Paul helped win to the Lord. Uh, Philemon had a slave named Onesimus that stole from him, ran away, and somehow met Paul in Rome. Paul converted him. And so Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon and writes to Philemon, Onesimus has been converted, so don't treat him as a slave. Treat him as a brother. Treat him as you would treat me. Receive him. If he's done anything wrong, I'll pay for it. I'll stand good for it. I want you to accept him back no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So he's sending him back. And Paul says, I wish he could stay here to help me. And and Philemon, you actually owe me your life anyway. So, you know, it would only be fair if you if you just gave him to me to help me. But he says, I'm not going to do anything without your consent. I'm sending him back to you and treat him as a brother, not a slave any longer. Um, but I know you're going to do more than what I ask. Well, it's a pretty strong hint. Set him free and send him back to work with me. So basically, we have this appeal to a slave master that if he just followed the exact prescription, he would no longer treat him as a slave. But if he followed the strong hint, he would set him free. And according to church tradition, he, uh, Philemon did set Onesimus free, which makes sense because it's just a very short one-chapter letter it, it doesn't have a lot of doctrinal significance. Why would it even have been preserved? If Onesimus died a slave, No, that letter would have no significance. But if Onesimus was set free, he would preserve it. And there is also a tradition that Onesimus became a bishop in the church. And we do know that even people who are slaves often became church leaders, in, including preachers, pastors, bishops. So the church didn't treat them like society treated him. And uh, so early tradition says Onesimus became a bishop, which would be a great explanation of why that little letter was preserved and became so significant. Uh, Even broader, the Old Testament says, Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you really love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to enslave them, right? You're not going to treat them as a slave. The New Testament in the Apostle Paul's writings, uh, 1 Timothy, among the list of sins were men stealers, or the NIV says slave traders, kidnappers, people that that uh, you know forcibly took people against their will and made them slaves. That was considered a sin. But look at the words of Jesus. When someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? He said the first commandment is... Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love God. The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And then also Jesus gave what is known as the golden rule. In Matthew 7, 12, basically do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So here's the point. 
If you took the words of Jesus at face value, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. You're to treat other people as you wish to be treated yourself. That would abolish slavery right there. And Jesus was saying, this is not some strange teaching. This is really a summary of what the Old Testament teaches. So when you look at the Bible as the whole, Old Testament, New Testament, it undermines slavery, not by promoting direct rebellion and violence against the government, but by teaching to change people's hearts so that slavery would be seen as the sin that it is, as the evil that it is. And sure enough, in the history of Rome, when Christians became predominant, that's what led to the abolition of slavery. So thousands of years of human history, what really ended ancient slavery was Christian teaching, as I've just described. And then later in Europe, when slavery was reintroduced by Western powers, nominally Christian, but it was the abolitionist movement of the 1800s that led to the end of slavery in the UK and uh, Great Britain, and then later in the US, and then even later uh, in the Spanish and Portuguese um, colonies um, of the New World. And then slavery wasn't abolished in Africa until the 20th century, and it persisted, wasn't officially abolished in North Africa until the early 21st century. This, and it's still practiced illegally. My point is, slavery was a universal phenomenon, universal evil, had nothing to do with Christianity. But in the ancient Roman Empire and in modern Western civilization, it was specifically Christianity that abolished slavery. I didn't uh, close the thought, but the abolitionist movement in the 1800s was explicitly Christian-based. It was appealing to Scripture, appealing to Christian values that slavery is against that. So to summarize, no, the Bible does not condone slavery. It it gave instructions to people who are living within such a society, but it enunciated principles that undercut slavery from within. And in fact, historical fact actually led to the abolition of slavery. So you could say the Bible and the Christian faith is the uh, one th uh, religion, theology, philosophy that actually overthrew the universal sin of human slavery. So the American slave owners were not being faithful to Scripture. They were not following the golden rule. They were not following the, the two greatest commandments. They were obviously uh, picking different parts of Scripture for their own self-interest. As one writer said, you know, even the devil can quote the Bible for his purpose, as you saw he did at the temptation of Jesus. So you can always cherry-pick little things and twist the scripture out of its context to say what you want to say. But if you're honest and look at the Bible as a whole and specifically focus on the teaching of Jesus and focus on the example of the Apostle Paul and Philemon, you'll, you can honestly and easily say the Bible stands against slavery, Christianity stands against slavery, and of course we today stand against slavery and racism, but certainly that's no reason not to trust the Bible because the Bible, theologically and historically, is what caused the end of slavery. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.